Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. We are back and energised after our time away at a conference. Yeah, energised, that's what we are. No, we're both deathly ill. I don't know if it's the conference or it's the running around in, in an air-conditioned space where you're sweating and cold and sweating and cold, or fighting through airports or getting on aeroplanes, but it's... Now, having said that, it was a very interesting conference, and, it, and Lisbon is a lovely city, and we had a very positive experience, I think a very valuable experience. We met lots of interesting people, heard lots of interesting ideas. And, you know, we, I could now look forward to a substantial improvement in the audio quality of this podcast. Why is that? Because, you know, there's always that background noise, Michael, of like boilers and cars driving by, because we have to do these in homes and in home offices. Because the entire country closed for so long. And I have finally found a solution to that. And what is that solution, Gary? I've bought noise-cancelling headphones. For you? Yes. Oh, no, no, not not for the listener. They'll have to put up with the same substandard crap (laughs) as before. I, on the other hand, will hear none of it. I'm sure the listeners are delighted. I mean, if they've gotten this far. Yeah, in fairness, they're a tough crew. They'll stick it out. As is the standard for when we take a break, those rare occasions, stuff just starts happening. So we went to this conference and things just immediately started happening. The f- My favourite thing that happened over the entire week we were gone was Michal Martin unveiling a brick. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was truly. It was... Surreal is a word which is often misused and abused, Gary. But there was something of a... I don't know what the playwright would have been, but there was a there was a, a surreal comedy to the thing. There's, you know that moment where he kind of... He, 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 he turns his head and goes down to it to address the brick. Yeah, well, I will put a link to the video, but the long and short of it is that the Taoiseach went over to New York and he was there for the opening of some sort of new arts place or maybe not the opening maybe they're just building it whatever it was it was a commemorative opening type of thing and at this opening they decided to present to him a brick uh because the brick was from 1916 and therefore obviously an irish american brick and so martin it's on a table and martin it's covered in like a velvet uh, cloth and they unveil the brick and martin leans forward and examines the brick satisfies himself that it is in fact a brick of the required quality and then tells the brick well done <laughs> you just actually tell the brick well done folks i mean watch the clip and see if you agree but i think it's undoubted that he's it reminded me you know that scene in babe where the farmer turns around and says that'll do pig that'll do <laughs> absolutely unimportant in the grand scheme of things but I very much enjoyed it. I was a bit confused. You're saying it was an American brick. I wasn't. It was a 1916 brick, certainly. And I assumed initially that it must have been out in 1916, you know, involved in the rising. I believe it treated Connolly's wounds. <laughs> That's why the brick is red, Michael. It's They mix the blood in. <laughs> yes. Cowards sneer, but we'll keep the red flag flying here. Tax breaks, Michael. Oh, tax breaks. I would say possibly the first time in my life a tax break was talked about that would benefit me and I had to go, that just seems like a bad idea. And what is this tax break that would benefit you? Leah Varadkar is talking about tax breaks for those working from home. Oh. And that's a terrible idea, Michael. Finnegan has come out with two terrible ideas in quick succession. Right. This... And the bonus payment for frontline staff. Yeah, yeah. And on the bonus payment, whatever about whether or not people deserve something, and no, they don't, because you don't deserve... The government does not have money. It has money it takes from people. Even if it lends money from somewhere else, the people will still need to pay that back. So it's people's money. No, you don't deserve to be given a bonus from other people's money for working. That's just my view on it. Even if you don't think that's right, though, announcing that you were going to give money to a group of people was always going to end up one very particular way, with every other group giving you good, solid reasons why they should be included, 
and you trying desperately to figure out how far you can go before you bankrupt the country. And I don't know why they announced it, because it was clearly something that was just going to piss people off. And to be fair, this wasn't just Fine Gael. This, this is the government initiative. It was not, it's not just politically, shall we say, naive. It's also just poisonous at a social, civic level. And it's already started. There was, I don't know, one of the unions or maybe all of the teachers' unions were saying that teachers should get the uh, pandemic bonus, you know. And there is, a, there is always a certain population in Ireland and possibly everywhere, I don't know, which is willing to jump on the teachers because, oh, because they get long holidays or because everybody can teach, I don't know, but there's always. And they were saying, well, when you, all these people say, well, I was working 13 hours a day to keep my company on the road and I was doing this and I was doing that. And now I'm, because we got supports to stay, I'm going to get retrospectively taxed on this and it's an outrage and teachers were doing nothing and they were just doing online and all that. And it, 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 all it's doing is generating horrible invective at one group because one group is saying they want it. And all, so everybody turns around and thinks of all the reasons why they shouldn't get it. I would declare an interest here. During the pandemic, I observed my sister who is a teacher and from the perspective of work, she was, instead of doing her five her five days a week and then some work at the weekends, she was doing a seven day a week and she was working from morning till night. It was, she, she was working tremendously, tremendously hard. Far off, her workload was, I would say, easily doubled because of the kind of preparation, the kind of work she was doing. Now, some people say, oh, well, she's the exception. And lots of teachers weren't doing that. And that maybe that's true. Maybe that isn't. All I know is, I can tell you that I saw a teacher at work who was doing a massive amount of work uh, as a result of the way she wanted to be able to provide a service to her students during the pandemic. But that's, and my point isn't to sort of defend teachers, but rather to say that this is the kind of thing that will happen. As you say, one group will set, be set up against another group and there will be viciousness and nastiness and whoever is left out will feel aggrieved and betrayed and they're probably right and then there'll be people who will be who will be put in and people will point at them and say well what do they do and why why are why are they special it is it's like a policy designed to create dissent division and hatred in amongst the people and using money as you say which is taxpayers so you're going to give you're going to tax some people and inevitably some of the people you're taxing would be people who will not get the bonus to give it to other people. And the sense of injustice will be great, deep and grievous and palpable. Why the hell would you do it? Particularly, Michael, as one of the interesting things about the policy, assuming they keep expanding it, and they may even expand it to journalists, Michael. Frontline. Frontline workers. Which would be nice. Frontline. Key to... Actually, you can make a... You can make as good a reason why journalists should get it as you can make an argument for anyone else getting it. And that's the problem. Every sector, once you accept the principle, can make a compelling argument. But the interesting thing here is that there's one group of people who can't get it. Yes. The people who lost their jobs during the pandemic, because they lost their jobs. So how could they have worked through the pandemic, protecting us from the impact of the pandemic? And this is... It ties into the, this, this whole thing about tax breaks for people who work from home. It's a bonus which will only go to those who will have yeah. gotten through the pandemic the best. And it's the same for the, the tax breaks from working from home that they're, they're saying the budget will include. If you are working from home, your costs have most likely decreased substantially. Because you don't have to drive, you don't have to take public transport, you can go to the shop and, you know get food so you can make your own lunch for the week instead of having to buy it somewhere. You may have gotten rid of your car. You're not getting your suits dry cleaned and your shirts done and you're sitting there and, well, we won't imagine what people might be sitting there in as they work from home in their computer. But there's no doubt across a whole variety of areas that there are opportunities to save money. And people have. I mean, people have saved large amounts of money. And we know there's more there's more money on deposit in Irish banks now than ever has been in the history of the state. Yeah, and there are already 
there are already tax credits you can apply for to pay for part of your heating, part of your broadband. And even if your mm-hmm. your heating, your electricity has gone up because you're working from home, I would say in the vast, vast majority of cases, that has been more than counterbalanced by the savings of not having to go to the office. So to then come out and going to say, well, we're going to give you a tax break for that, when the country is $250 billion in debt, seems on the face of it patently insane. Particularly, again, because the people who worked from home have jobs. The working from home thing isn't so much about the pandemic, but more uh, just another part of the green agenda, isn't it? Here's the thing. that Part of the government wants people to work from home. Part of the government wants people to go back into the cities yes. because they need people to go shopping. And those two sides don't seem to be in any sort of contact with each other. But the point I would make on this, Michael, the general consensus now is that there will be a hybrid model in the civil service, in a lot of private companies, where people will work yeah. more from home, maybe entirely from home, maybe going into the office you know, every now and then or a day or two a week. That's already where most people are at. Not all companies, not everyone, but it seems like the general consensus. And if it's the consensus, and it's already why people... Uh, what people want to do, why are you planning to give them things to incentivize them to do the things they're going to do anyway? They are already incentivized to do. It's it's not natural to me, Michael, to say the government should take more of my money, but the country is 250 billion in debt. Once the we get to the end of the pandemic unemployment benefits, and once we get to the end of a lot of the supports for businesses, that's going to be have that's going to have to be measured, uh, dealt with very carefully, or there's going to be economic devastation. And I would rather the government take the money and have it ready in case they need to do something there, rather than using it on something that the. I just hope that this is not what anyone considers a good idea, and that this is just purely a bribe to get voters back on with them. Because if someone thought this was a good idea... The rather obvious problem, I would have thought, of justice, this will only apply to certain people doing certain kinds of jobs. There are going to be loads of people who, no matter how you incentivized them, will not be able to work from home. If you're stacking shelves in a supermarket, you can't stack them at home. You can't sit at the checkout at home and check out people. You can't... Well, we don't want them to. Maybe you could, but teachers are going to have to go into schools to teach children in schools because that's what we want them to do. They could do it at distance, but we don't want that. There, you you can't take you can't take barrel uh, bags of peat moss off the ships from Poland and put them onto a lorry from home. Certain kinds of jobs have to be done there. And it's not a question that you're just resisting the trend towards home working and you're not being green. It's just that's not where your job is. And it's deeply unfair that because you're doing that kind of job that doesn't involve sitting in front of a laptop and doing it at a distance of some kind of admin job, that you aren't going to join, you're not going to get the divvies of this tax. The tax break, that's just, it seems to me on the face of it, unjust or unfair. No, I think you're right on that. Um, That, yeah, the jobs that will benefit most from this are in particular sectors. And they tend to be mostly occupied by people in particular social classes. And you see that as well. Even when they're talking about this bonus they want to pay for frontline staff, the initial attention was all on very respectable middle class uh, occupations, Michael. Whereas... You could make a fairly strong argument that some of the frontline staff that were most core to actually keeping things from just sliding right into the void were things like retail workers. I, I, okay, if you want to make give up medals, I'd say number, if you start off with the lads who are doing delivery driving, delivery for for retail grocery outlets. They were the people bringing the food to the houses. I understand the idea behind the bonus. What I don't understand is how an entire government of people who know how politics work thought it was a good idea to come forward with something like that and now seem terribly shocked that every union in the country 
is demanding that they be included. Yeah, I'm sorry, again, this notion that these people know how politics work. I see very little evidence of that in my lived day-to-day life, Gary, so I think that's just another part of your your sweet, naive, fundamentally optimistic, utopian nature. I, I, it's not about having high standards, Michael, but it was so obviously going to be an issue. Like, could you see this ever going a different way than it's gone? Come on, no, Gary. I mean, talk, knowing which way things were going to go. Again, when we were over in Lisbon, we had the opportunity to talk to some very nice people from a various number of think tanks in the United Kingdom. And I was talking to one lady who described herself as a hibernophile. She comes to Ireland regularly. She's very fond of Ireland. She pays a lot of attention to Irish politics. And she said to me, when she was talking, she said, during the whole Brexit brouhaha, the attitude and the speeches given by Coveney and by Varadkar, which constantly and consistently undermined Theresa May, and in fact, before that, even Cameron, she said, I'm looking at Ireland in a situation now, and if anything comes up, at an international level, where the Irish are coming to the UK looking for support help, I'm saying, well, lads, you broke our bats when we were going out to face the fast bowling. Why the F should we help you now? And she said, and I say that as someone who is a benefit, lots of people in London either are not sympathetic to Ireland or don't care, or pay no attention to it and are enormously pissed off by the attitude of the Irish part. And I'm saying, Gary, you're talking about predictable things. That was utterly predictable. And it's like as if they decided that the United Kingdom, our nearest neighbour, one of our largest trading partners, our, a country with, for, with whom we have very significant strategic interests, was well, suddenly that was all going to disappear. And that would, like the, the Jew on a Sunday morning, it would never figure in Irish politics ever again that we would never, ever need the help of a, a government in Westminster. I, I assume this is some sort of bribe, that this is just Fine Gael trying to butter up office workers. And on that, I suppose it makes some sort of sense. No, it doesn't, because they've done this before, and it failed as badly as this will fail, and for the same reasons. For those who are old enough to remember, when the, this, is, in, this is in the great tradition of Michael Noonan, and the Aircom, the Aircom share prices. When Aircom was privatised, it was the price was set at a certain level, and people assumed they could buy it, and it would it would skyrocket, and everybody would make money, and people went to the credit union against official advice, admittedly, and borrowed money. So, Michael Noon's great idea was that people who had lost money on Aircom shares would be compensated. Now, it may have spoken directly to the uh, shall we say, a demographic which they felt would be important to Fine Gael. But even people who'd lost money on Aircom insurance thought, no, this is a ridiculous use of taxpayers' money, that people who speculated in the stock market are going to be given money. Now, I would say these examples are less egregious than the Aircom, but it's very much part of that tradition. And I think that if they do, if they try and buy pull ahead with it, they will have the same success with this that they had as they had with that. And it's just just a plain bad old and the kind of idea that should have been brought up at a meeting, discussed for a half an hour, and then people would say, No, actually, the downsides are too big and too obvious. No, we'll just leave we'll leave that. Or at very least, we have to find a better disguised way of doing it. It is odd what their priorities are occasionally. Like, let's assume this is not just bribery, and they just think this will be helpful. You know, you're working from home, you, you lighting and heating goes up, you shouldn't have to pay that. It's just an odd thing for them to pay attention to, considering all of the other things they don't pay attention to. You'd think you would have thought that there were other things... One thing I did like to see when we were away is been a couple of days of us going away, I started to see that the energy issue had broken into the mainstream press. And there was now this 
sudden rush of, oh God, what's happening? Will there be power? You know, because usually we just witter on about things that we think are important. We would like to think are actually are actually important, but it rarely breaks through into the real world. But God, this has positively exploded into the real world. So that was quite good. Although we are reassured that, don't worry, there'll be plenty of electricity for everyone. Although we may have to start regulating use, Gary, because, you know, there are people out there just using too much electricity, which means there isn't enough for other people. I was reminded, I don't know why, uh, the, of there was a moment, I can't remember if it was under Maduro or, or Chavez was still in power, where one of the, anybody who was paying any attention to the Venezuela story over the years will notice it. People would go across the border into Colombia into these markets and on the way back, you can always see one of the seams is people carrying large bags of toilet paper because there's been a shortage of toilet paper for quite some time in Venezuela. And anyway, the Venezuelan government responded that this was being done by anti-revolutionary uh, saboteurs who were deliberately using more toilet paper than they needed in order to create a shortage. You know, those damned Yankees and their lackeys, God, Gary, they'll do anything just to destabilise the world. Just in no, in passing, I was reading a report today from Colombia, which now reports um, a pover absolute poverty level of 76%. That's good. Uh, well, yeah, it is good. I mean, sneery joking aside, which we like to do, it is um, such a horrible human tragedy when you consider gary we talked about this before and we talked it like we won't go into now once upon a time venezuela was a rich country venezuela was one of the examples of south america at the level of back in the 60s with at the level of infrastructure economy civic life etc and this government they are there are still lefties in this state in parties that will be probably at some stage in the near future enough be in government, persons that are actually still are, are walking by roles of power in the state, refuse to look at that regime and say it has been a ghastly and horrible failure. It's not real socialism. Not until they get at least to a 90% poverty rate. So who, who who said we would have plenty of electricity? Because Eamon Ryan, when he's been asked about this, has not been filling anyone with confidence. Yeah, well, Eamon may have other irons in non-carbon producing fires there. But anyway, Michal Martin stood up in the doll and has assured us that those, that there were the, the capacity which had been taken offline for essential maintenance and upkeep will be coming back online and there, there will be plenty of electricity. Don't worry about it. The lights will stay on. Now, he did say that certain people who use lots of electricity may be asked when there are surges in the grid over the winter period to transfer from the grid to their own power generating so that they will take pressure off of the grid. So this would be the same sort of requests from air grid you know maybe to a business to you know uh you know just take the foot off the throttle maybe use a little bit less energy the sort of things that they in the last two months have made 1300 requests for 1300 that seems high i just have a feeling that if in two months your electrical grid has to make 1300 requests to businesses to please God, stop use less, you know, use less power. You're probably not in a great place. Yeah, I also you can't be inspired by the statement that I'm quoting here from the Independent that he promised emergency legislation, if necessary, at a later date, to regulate consumption by big companies. Because you know, I think we're kind of aware at this stage, Gary, that unlike a lot of other countries in Europe, we are a peculiarly open economy and peculiarly dependent on foreign direct investment. And if we're now saying that companies that come here are going to face regulation regarding consumption of electricity and may be expected to provide their own backup sources of electricity, you know, like he says, any short-term problems will be managed by working with large energy users who have their own backup power supply. My my favourite part of the recent discussion that we missed 
was Eamon Ryan discussing why we're going to have to have some fossil fuel in the mix because sometimes the wind doesn't blow and the sun isn't shining. Because then he went on to talk about when we have more renewable sources, the great competitive advantage we have because you know gas is at a very high price, Michael. But traditionally in business, it's not considered a competitive advantage if you can't use your product. So it's sort of a, it's renewable. Great. It doesn't turn on. No. Uh, you, we haven't yet got around the fundamental problem when, with this 80% target for wind energy. That That's grand. And when the wind is blowing and we have lots of electricity being generated out of the Atlantic, that's lovely. But in the days, as for example has occurred this year, where the wind does not blow and the turbines do not turn, you have to have exactly the same amount of generation capacity available that you're using from the wind. So if you've got 80% wind capacity and there's wind, then you're going to need, I don't know if it have to be 80%, but you're going to have to need somewhere close to that to guarantee supply. And they're always talking, oh, well, battery technology, battery technology. Well, we have no certainty as as we're speaking that this battery technology is going to be at hand and there are questions indeed regarding the sustainability of the battery technology that we have at the moment anyway so we're going to have to have a backup system gary i mean we're kind of beating our dead horses and i'm warning the listeners i am going to be beating a similar but slightly different dead horse on this subject shortly but yes we are going to have to have a component in this system which is capable of coming in when the renewables don't work. And that component is going to have to be roughly the same size as the renewable. It's interesting because now people have started also to talk about nuclear energy because, you know, as we said before, if you run the figures, it's pretty clear that it's the only way we would hit both our actual environmental targets and, you know, be able to turn on the lights or at least turn on the lights with any great deal of certainty. And you're starting to hear pushback now, like, like if they take 20 years to build, we'd never be able to build one in Ireland. It's an absolute fantasy. To which you have to say, well, they don't take 20 years to build. You can build them much quicker, as the French have demonstrated. And you would need to change the planning laws to get one through, absolutely, because otherwise you'd face endless objections. In the same way you see endless objections to anyone attempting to build a wind farm right now. And it's in exactly the same way if somebody was to say, you know what, actually Gary is wrong, that we do have an alternative to nuclear, which we can use and which is immediately available and which would help us meet our carbon emissions targets, and that is natural gas. I mean, you could even say, Michael, some sort of, some sort of plan, perhaps, where you say in the long term you want to move towards nuclear. But in the short to medium term, we could use all of that natural gas. And then after we switch to nuclear, we could export the natural gas to make money. But that would still involve getting the natural gas out of the ground. That doesn't seem to be something we are willing to undertake at the moment. It's almost actually as if if you had planned this over the long term, you could have went peat, natural gas, nuclear. And daisy-chained that along. I'm sure it was pleasing to people involved in Bordnemona and in the turf-fired plants. The sight of ships pulling into the Irish ports, bringing peat moss from Latvia. Was it Latvia was coming in from? I think there's a number of sources, so possibly Poland. I, there's peat coming in from Poland. We have briquettes coming in from the Baltics and briquettes coming in from Germany. The briquettes coming in from Germany are from lignite coal, which of course is famously one of the cleanest sources of power you could possibly want. So the Germans are now, with their huge open-cast lignite mines that they have in northern Germany, which they expanded recently, had to move a whole town in order to get thing, get at uh, the, the, the new seam. They're now exporting it to us. Because we don't have any, we're not, we're not going to be producing briquettes. I mean, Michael, we're putting a lot of pressure on Eamon Ryan here. 
I mean, yes, he's the Minister for Energy, and yes, he did say there was no certainty as to exactly how well the lights will work come the winter. I mean, he's got a lot on his plate. The Dublin Metro, for instance. Yes, uh, yes, which is, uh, would you say postponed or long-fingered or effectively cancelled? Well, considering we first started talking about the Dublin Metro in, I believe, 2001, and we're now saying it will be open by 2034, I think we can say that's, um, that's gone. Which is actually quite handy for Mr. Ryan, because that, my understanding is that that wouldn't have been a vote winner in his constituency. Which is a shame, because obviously, Michael, if we're talking about all of the these problems with energy, and he wants to get cars off the road, and, you know, general environmental stuff, it would seem like a metro would have been really, really helpful at doing that. So I'm sure he is absolutely broken that he couldn't take the political hit, but get that done. And, you know, in some way achieve his political goals, even at the cost of some votes. I have seen some unkind people, Michael, terribly unkind people, of low character, who I Mm -hmm. absolutely cannot support, indicating that Ryan is, in fact, happy that the Metro is not going ahead, or that he may have, in fact, even played some hand in the Metro not going ahead. But that is a low thing to accuse a minister of Ryan's stature and uh, great personal integrity of. Yes, indeed. Anyway, I just wanted to briefly, I suppose, talk about the energy issue, but maybe bring the the focus a little bit out, a little bit more uh, panoramic. Because something that uh, listeners, regular listeners, will have heard us talk about, uh, heard you certainly uh, advert to, is the fact that the the modern developed Western economy, shall we say, which starts with the Industrial Revolution, is based on one thing. One, there's one central fa- feature which underpins the leaps forward that have occurred uh, in the last couple of hundred years, I suppose 300 years at this stage. And, this, and that was the harnessing of cheap energy. It starts off with hydro, uh, with using water as a means of communication, with the, ex- with the development of canal systems in, in, in the United Kingdom and then other places. And then and the use of mills and mill races and whatever. And then after that, the development of the steam engine. And then after that, the development of the, the extraction of uh, crude oil and using it to develop, to make petrol and kerosene and so on. Generation of electricity, why, and then the electrification of, of, the, of the economies. And then I suppose the, the last bit, nuclear fuels and et al. And I think that we are at, at risk of seeing the issue of energy right now, I suppose I want to say it now, so that when other people start saying it, talking about it, maybe two weeks time, we can say we got there first. But it's something we, we have to be thinking about. And I think that this maybe is going to be the, the, the real kernel of the stumbling block of the devel- of the direction of the kinds of energy policies that people have been wafting around. Because we're now getting to the, we're actually hitting the road, the rubber is actually starting to hit the road right now. Partly it's because we're finally getting to the point where policies are starting to have an impact. But COVID has had a real effect on this as well, with tightening supply chains and reducing supplies of all sorts of things around the world. I was I, I, This occurred to me, I was reading an article in Bloomberg about the price of aluminium. And as you know, who wouldn't be interested, Gary, in such an exciting story? Anyway, it's curious because it, what it was doing, at, what they're saying they're doing, they're tracking the increase in the costs of major industrial metals, right? And major industrial metals, the likes of copper, zinc, lead, nickel, right? And they have been going up, and they've been going up by fairly substantial amounts. However, aluminium has not been increasing at the same rate as the metals, but it's incre- the price has been increasing far, far more quickly. It's up there with the increases we're seeing in the price of high-grade coal, of gas, and of petroleum. And there's a very simple reason for that, and that is unlike all metals, as you know, require a certain amount of energy to transform them into use, in their development into products. Aluminium requires a peculiarly large amount I was aware of this when many years ago I was 
teaching um, the chief engineer, there's a small privately owned electricity generating company in Milan. And their main customer was uh, an aluminium smelter. The smelting plant was built, and this is true very often with aluminium. One of the things they do is they're built beside hydroelectric plants because they basically need to be plugged in direct right into the system and they need access to lots and lots of electricity up to a third and maybe even more than a third of the cost of aluminium gold is from the price of electricity is from is from uh, the the electricity that's used to create it now why am i saying why aluminium i think i'm particularly using aluminium as an example because it is so ubiquitous in our lives today there is so much aluminium around and when the price of energy starts to impact impact the price of aluminium as a as a base material that is going to then have a ripple effect further out in price inflation across the economy which is going to hit every sector of the economy your can of coke your tin of peas we call we say we talk about tins it's a long time since tin has been used in these it's aluminium the casing that's used for your iphone for your laptops a lot of the material which is contained within those is aluminium cars trains anything which is involving electricity because it's highly because of its ductibility but also because it has its capacity uh, it's as a conduct it's 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 very high level of conductivity also its resistance to uh, to rusting its resistance to weathering aluminium is everywhere gary and we're going we're going to start to see pretty immediately we're seeing already and over the next year we're going to see all of these price increases are going to start to flow into the wider economy now price increases inflation is fundamentally a monetary phenomenon it's not primarily driven in, in the long term driven by the increase the decrease of price of commodities what happens is the increase in the price of commodities will ultimately when either we start to run the printing presses and we generate more and more and more inflation which then becomes a pernicious thing and becomes incredibly damaging to the economy the alternative is what happens is that the markets will naturally correct and we will just simply see a significant contraction in those areas in the economy where you've seen increases in price and the economy and activity will go to other areas but fundamentally what because this is going to be spread so far across the economy if we allow this to continue if we are sticking to the plan that we are that we seem to be having it's not just in ireland i mean there are reports all over all over the international media about en the energy crisis in europe uh, china did you see this it's a really weird story out of china about uh, about power it's very hard to understand why they should have a power problem electricity pro power problem in china oh no it's, i think it's actually quite simple so china absolutely has the capacity to make enough power yeah but they don't have the material right so their plants if they had enough material to keep them going would be fine but they don't have enough material when you say material do you mean fuel or do you mean sort of fuel? fuel and in fact and this is ironically as we know china has been very hostile to, to australia but one of the things that's driving up australian coal prices have been rocketing although again it's hard to because china has massive reserves of its own of coal of its own and it's announced it won't be exporting them and it, yeah which is again an interesting signal we are coming out of a period of economic global economic stagnation there are bottlenecks all over the place because production levels of all sorts of natural resources and then of commodities and of parts if you're in, if you're talking about phones cars whatever we know there's a shortage of of parts for manufactured parts all the way down to extracted materials in the economy because of covid which is actually part of china's problem because as uh, its factories are basically wearing back up trying to meet that demand and that's creating an enormous strain on them. Interestingly enough, the current issues in China demonstrate the value of price gouging. That's, yeah, the interesting discussion there in the, in the United Kingdom about 
they're, they've, they're having a lot of problem with petrol at the moment. A lot of people are saying, actually, there is no shortage of petrol, but there's a panic about the, the perception that there's a shortage of petrol, which has led to panic buying, which has then led to a shortage of petrol. The government announced that there was no shortage, but the fact that the government made that announcement convinced people there was going to be a shortage, and they engaged in panic buying. But on the, the Chinese thing, on the, the point about price gouging, the price of coal in China has gone up massively. Yeah. The government controls the price of electricity. So if you are a power plant and you're using coal, you'd have to operate at a loss because you can't increase your price, which is to say you can't price gouge. You can't bring your prices up to an exploitative level or really any level uh, to compete. So instead, you're just not doing it. And so China doesn't have enough power. And the only thing they can do there is either directly order the power plants to operate at a loss or let the price go up. Ah, uh, markets, Michael. Indeed. It's, uh, there was a report again in Bloomberg spe- specifically talking about this. Uh, Jing, President Xi Jinping had and it had set targets that the Chinese emissions would peak in 2030 and then over the next three decades decline to zero, to net zero. But in in uh, because of the... the uh, Surging energy demand now, and still in and and the and the very much insufficient renewable capacity. They're now looking at coal futures in China hitting uh, records, double what they were they were up they were up at twelve months ago, and that actually is also pushing the price of aluminium. It's actually been quite um, interesting to see globally. There are replications of the Irish issue with energy all over Europe, but not all, simply over Europe, all over. Uh, pretty much the globe, but not for the same reasons, and they don't appear to be interconnected. It's just a load of things happening separately that have caused the uh, the same outcome. Now, one assumes they are at some very deep level connected and everything is feeding in. Yeah. But you're just seeing weird things, like people are unable to get enough coal out of Mongolia. This is going to be a real test now. Whether or not voters are going to be willing to accept... The, the bland, unfounded, speculative hopes, basically, of politicians. Because there isn't a plan. There is no real plan. There is no real set of steps in place where this will replace this, this will generate that. Rather, oh, well, you know, in we have a fabulous position here. We could be a world's leader in wind energy. We could be exporting billions. It's going to be it's going to be better than finding oil. It's going to be fantastic. Ryan said to himself, and we, we mentioned before, when talking about this at one stage, okay, it is true that some of the technologies we need, we need have not been invented yet. But Gary, that's not a plan, that's a prayer. And over the next year, and coming sooner even perhaps we're going to see this rubber is going to hit the rope we're going to see impacts it's going to cause contractions the economy it's going to cause constrictions on growth where growth would otherwise happen at a time when we're all we're we're facing massive costs that the economies have taken on burden because of supporting different sectors during covid and the only way you're going to get out of that is through strong growth and all of these policies are going to directly impact and either restricting growth, constricting growth, or stopping growth altogether. And I, I, I wonder, will the voters simply say, okay, lads, no, we're, you need to come back with a better plan than this, because this one is not working for us. I think that it may actually be nuclear's time to shine, purely because everyone currently in power, supports everything else but nuclear, and they've screwed it all up. Much like Sinn Féin replacing the current government, because they're not part of the current government, nuclear may simply be that thing we haven't tried. But there is a very deep resistance to the idea of nuclear power. Yeah, but that's because we spent 80 years listening to the environmental movement, saying that it was Satan in the same way they campaigned against things like golden rice. And now we have to deal with a situation where you have to go to the environmental groups and go, you know, lads, if you're right about all this, we wouldn't be in this situation if we just built nuclear power plants 
80 years ago instead of listening to you then? Yeah, um, we shall see. I mean, I'm personally curious to see if there will be any rollback on the opposition to the extraction of natural gas, both on land and for exploration in on the... The, the in this the the Atlantic Shelf here. I mean, will will, will reality force a rethink there? Well, I mean, it hasn't saved us so far. Yeah, but rarely yet. And the one thing about that, Gary, is while I might you I might agree that in the medium to long term that we're going to have to look at nuclear. I think that from the short to medium term, we're more likely to get out of this through accessing natural gas. I think it's going to come on stream more quickly and we're already set up to be able to use that and generate electricity with it. I think the processes of building even a couple of small station nuclear stations here, that's going to take time. From that story, Michael, to just a quick mention of a topic that we quite like to talk about. There was an article in the um, the Times, the British Times, the Irish edition, a paper which I am have a growing dislike for, despite actually quite liking their reporting. Their Irish section doesn't include all of the sections in the printed paper, Michael. Like, there's stories in the printed paper that are not in the online paper. But I pay for the online paper, so I don't have to buy the printed issue. That is really tedious. So you pay for the bloody thing online, you assume you're going to get the whole thing, and then you discover there are whole chunks of it that you have to go out and get the filthy inky thing from the street if you want to read them so i'm reading it and i'm like what the hell am i paying like paying these people for to get six irish stories a day yeah instead of actually getting the contents of the paper but anyway that's neither here nor there brendan burgess was um in it and he wrote an article called ireland needs cheaper homes not bigger mortgages and the majority of the article is about the calls to raise the um borrowing limits that banks have and he makes the very good point that if you do that then house prices will just rise rapidly and that the actual thing to do here is to decrease the cost of building houses and he you know he makes some good points like the fact that there is a VAT on uh, new homes and that could be set at zero and that would change a, a house that is worth 250,000 Michael with no VAT that's 283,000 after that. So it's not, not a small difference. 13.5%. But it is the first time I think I have seen in an Irish newspaper, and it may have happened before and I just missed it, and maybe Ronan Lyons has written about it, where he makes the explicit point that the government regulations and housing standards have increased the prices of houses and pushed people out of the market. Yeah which is something we've been talking about for years. Uh, usually every time the government announces a new rise in the standards and we have to come on and go, and this is the maths, and this is why that's a terrible idea, and now here's a photo of a minister smiling like a gobshite. Yeah. Thinking he's done something good. So I think this is, this. Uh, as I said, I think this is the first article in, in an Irish paper that's actually made that point. Does he, is it, he, did he refer to this, the, the Rolls-Royce? Was that him? Rolls-Royce standards on every new home. Which is pretty well that the, the metaphor we've been using, uh, that, that, you know, if you want, you, you can drive a Fiat or you can drive a Mercedes. But the fact is the Mercedes is, is going to be a safer car than than the than your than my little Fiat Panda will be. However, make legislating that everything is going to be at the same level as a Mercedes doesn't mean that we all drive Mercedes. Just it means that some people just won't be driving anything at all. And precisely that has happened in housing. That rather than everybody living in these fantastic houses, you've got a lot of people who are just not living in these not living, owning or renting these houses at all. And it's another example, going back to whether we talk about, oh, turf-fired stations or fracking in Leitrim. It's like our politicians, Gary, have missed that bit where they were told that economics is basically the, the science of trade-offs, of understanding that you get one thing, you give one thing, and you have a trade-off. And it's the job of policymakers to decide where the balance lies in the trade-off, that there is 
good and there is bad. They seem to think that there is only good. That all of these policies are only good things, they are only positive, and we, it's horrific to suggest that we should roll them back or even limit them in their in their scope and their their ambition, because this is a good thing. There's absolutely no sense that this is actually doing something negative on the capacity of people to own a house. I think we should just what we should do is we should just in front of the doll, where the plinth is, and they you know do all of their press yeah. uh, gatherings, just laser cut into the ground. Your actions may have consequences. <laughs> that was never my favorite definition of economics as a, as a side point. My favorite definition of economics was it's the study of scarce. Yes. Yes. I suppose ultimately that the, the study of scarce resources and how you just, because ultimately everything, virtually everything I imagine the universe is at some is limited and therefore we have to balance uh, one thing off another, and in this case, the trade. We are again, and this we see this in the discussions of power generation, but again, specifically in houses, when we're talking about these wonderfully high ratings that are all the houses are to have. Oh, but you'll save the money in the end. As a point you've made before, Gary, is that there's no sense at all that that's fine, but the cost of building the house is front loaded the the savings are backloaded so yeah fine you get all the savings when you've been in the house for x for 30 years but you have to buy the house today and you by creating these wonderfully high standards you're also creating houses that are becoming more and more expensive anyway i just wanted to mention the brendan burgess thing because it explicitly points out that government regulations are uh, causing a lot of the house prices and that there is a massive amount the government could do on the administrative and tax side and the policy side and in relation to planning permission and land prices that they have not done and they seem totally unaware that they could do and because we've been talking about it for years it's nice to see someone who is publicly recognized as knowing what they're talking about saying it in a public venue anyway there's a an interesting thing that you'll be talking about on sunday gary just i think to give the uh, listeners a, a a bit of a taster, I think they should tune in. This is going to be interesting. Oh yes, this should be good fun. Uh, well, we're waiting for some responses from people, but I'm hoping that by Saturday or Sunday we have a piece up uh, looking at some aspects of the HSE and their fight against COVID misinformation that have not gone... Um, hmm, how would I say? Uh gone well haven't gone well at all i'm looking forward to that anyway anyway it'll be a, it'll be a fun story it's not going to take down the government kind of story but it'll be fun so until that sunday we're now gosh who in october mina Sowen heading for halloween and then only so many sleeps till christmas but anyway two sleeps till sundays uh so until then mind yourselves all the best <laughs>